What's up? What's up? What is up? What is up? What is up? What is Go- up? Going off track episode number something, 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 probably. Mm-hmm. What's shaking, everybody? 80, I'm going to guess it's 86. Mm-hmm. I'm going to guess it, this one will be 89. Yeah. Or 88. 289? I don't know. We're getting close to 200. We, we're going we to gonna plan something special. We haven't started actually planning it yet. It'll come out during South By, I, I figured. You did? Okay. Yeah. I'm planning to start planning it soon. You should. I have a oh, plan to start planning it. That's a good plan. That's yes. A good plan. Um, the guest will be Simple Plan. We'll be playing live. <laughs> just, yeah, just interviewed. Quebecois! I just interviewed Simple Plan. <laughs> They're very nice. Yes. I They're to always, Ch- always very nice. Chuck guys. and Pierre. What's up, dudes? Very nice. It'd be fun to get them on. Yeah, I love those dudes. Yeah, they're very nice. Uh, today we have Brad and Steven. Hi. And me. Oh, That's the we guest. Are. We're the guests. We're, hey. I wish you guys were the guests. What today- are we going to talk about? <clears throat> um, I just are- ranted the last one about Republicans calling me for money. Yeah, but that's like normal for you. We, should we do it again? Yeah, we could, you, we could rant about them all the time. Brad, what do you think about Republicans calling and asking for money? I, you know, I feel that everybody deserves to live on this earth equally. Don't they have all the fucking money and not the point? Yeah, exactly. And the people Hello? who vote for them don't have going, any fucking man. money. They don't have any money, but they support their right to take the Us money. people with landlines. I just heard about um, uh, <laughs> Pfizer, the pharmaceutical company Pfizer, Ow. Uh, combined with, you all right, Jonah? You're just banging your face in the just microphone? Just smash face into the mic stand. That's so awesome. <laughs> Good, because that, that story wasn't going anywhere. <laughs> It's going to be about a tax break for a giant corporation, but I, you banging your face is way funnier. Yeah. I sacrificed my health <laughs> to stop me from talking. Not the first time. Comedy is <laughs> tragedy and timing. Last, there, there last was. intro I spilled, just dumped a, <laughs> a cup of coffee on myself and my phone. <laughs> this one, I just smashed my face into the mic stand. Welcome to the Jonas Physical Comedy Show. Yeah. Welcome. Yeah. Welcome to the physical <laughs> comedy show you can only listen to. Uh, it's really today, the best kind of physical comedy. Today in the podcast, uh, our friend Ned Russum, he plays bass and sings in a band called Title Fight. They're a very popular band, mm-hmm. anti-records. Um, their latest album's called Hyperview. It's really good. Can't um, you say Epitaph even if it's anti? anti? I don't know. I mean, I, yeah, same. That label was created for Tom Waits. You know that, right? Was it? No, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know, dude. I just know what label they're on. You know what I'm saying? It's anti-Epitaph. It's all Brett. It's all Brett. He know it all. Did you ever um, go with Brett? Were you on Epitaph? No. Who were you on? We were on Reprise. Oh, that's right. Oh, we would, Blackout was our indie record. Oh, really? Yeah. Right on. I didn't know that. Oh, we met the dude from Blackout here. Yeah, Bill. Bill. Bill yeah, Wilson. when are we going to do a podcast with I've Bill? I've been friends with Bill Wilson since, you know, 1992 or three. Oh, yeah. Which is probably when... The, you know what that the, means, right? Probably when... Friends with Bill Wilson? Oh. Oh, wait a minute. Yes, I do. <laughs> 92, yes, 93 do. is probably when Ned Russum was born. Yeah, probably. Seriously. I think he's like 25. Um, Thanks. Thanks for that. No problem. (laughs) Yeah. Anyways, uh, I met Ned, I think, through the Pianos guys. He's super nice. And he's very young. He's a very young young. guy for a baby. But he's been playing in this band since 2003. Since he was in middle school? Yeah, probably. His older brother's in the band. He's also really into memes, as am I. So we have a lot in common. Memes are fun. Yeah. Good. I send him a lot of memes. Whenever I make a meme, I send it to Ned and usually... How do you define memes? How do I define What's them? What's your favorite? You're not allowed to make any noises. You usually wear white face paint. You have, have to it. do everything with your hands. That's pantomime, Bradley. <laughs> pantomime. Um, but yeah. I got, uh, I got a meme right here. You do? But I'm going to read it because I think you'll love it. Yeah, great meme. In fact, I think Brad should read it because it's going to make him laugh. 
Do I have to describe? You what have to it, describe what it, it first. So this is obviously a like you know fifties clip art of a mom serving a cake or battering a cake and her daughter looking on. She says, "Mom, I think." Need some glasses. Bro? I think I, I think I love a drummer, and mom says, "You were always such an idiot. You were always an idiot." <laughs> Sorry, it took me forever to read that. It's kind it of It makes it better. The awkwardness <clears throat> adds to the humor. It's one of those fonts that's uh we call it comic sans. Comic oh. sans, the font that no longer exists. And this is thank you for listening to our new segment, Brad Reeves and Meme. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna do this every goddamn episode. Every I have episode. plenty of them. Great. Uh without any further ado, meme meme expert and awesome dude Ned Russum from Title Fight. It's going on. What's up? Uh, I'm Jonah. We're here with Ned Russin from Title Fight. Hey. And I'm Ned. guest host, once again, Benny Horowitz, Gaslight Anthem. Um, world citizen. Bottom feeder, world citizen. <laughs> uh, I guess Antarctica now. Antarctica, yeah. I don't know. I, Sometimes. I saw, I was just in Gainesville, and I went to Arrow's Aim Records, and they had the new Antarctica. Oh, cool. Right up on the wall. On the wall? On the wall. Goodness. Yeah. Good spot. Yeah. That's the place to be, man. That's the hot attention. Yeah. Usually the wall records, though, are like, those are like the ones that are going to cost you a few bucks if yeah. something's like up on the wall, right? Does that D- mean? Depends. Yeah. that's either New- like the old vintage one. If it's a used store, you know, the wall is, that's the. They did yeah, have, that's it was the a mix. Stuff. Dangerous It was wall. like new releases, yeah. but then I think it's like maybe owned by No Idea or something, because then they'd be like, this is a $30 Lesson Jake record that's right. super limited. But aren't all new releases these days? You to, I fe- can you move that closer? Oh, yeah. I feel like I can't get a new release that costs like under f- fucking 50 bucks now because it's always like 180 gram double yeah. wax, but, which is really cool. I'm glad people are getting into it again. But right. It's, it's getting costly. Yeah. It's even costly it's, to make. Yeah. Yeah. It's rough, especially with a record habit. And it takes forever to get them made now. Like when we had our last record made, they were like, you to get it to like the the company like six months in advance. I don't think the industry has caught back up with with the demand. Like I remember when, you know, everyone started doing vinyl again, there was pretty much like two two vinyl houses that had survived and were still like actively printing. And I don't think it definitely certainly has taken longer for people to to build places that can make records yeah, than, crazy. Than, the, than the demand for it. Are mm. you a big uh, record collector? Yeah, I am. Nice. What, what do you think your number's at? I don't know. <laughs> I, I kind of have my collection split right now since moving to the city. I have left, I don't know, maybe half of it at home of just stuff that I'm not going to listen to all the time or mm. I don't want to look well, at. Was that a hard... Because I, I did that too. It's kind of a hard decision to go through and be like, I think I need this. I don't know if I need yeah. this. Especially because... You know, I'm a collector, so I have whatever, anywhere from three to like 10 copies of a single record. Right. So it's like, oh, do I really need to bring every color of this record? (laughs) It's like, I kind of want to, but it's really dumb, but I'll do it anyway. What's your like, what's your kind of niche? Is it like old Rev stuff? Yeah. That's like like my main. I didn't mean to like pigeonhole you, but that's kind of what I was thinking. No, that's Uniform choice, I feel like, shirt really. Yeah. That's, that's my... My main focus is, you know, rev stuff. Basically, you know, the uh, the this second wave in in quotes there of okay. hardcore. You know, like eighty five to ninety or something. Okay, so is that is that what it's it's deemed so what now? About, like, second what a, wave, 
kind of yeah so it's like Makes pre sense. it's like post like like post- judge but like pre in my eyes it, it yeah like judges is in that vein judges but it's okay. it's weird because but even wouldn't that like even predate like gorilla biscuits Gorilla Biscuits is the, like the tail end of that. Yeah. They, well, they, the thing is, they started kind of in the beginning, in, they were in the middle, really, and then they didn't put out a record until oh, right. you know, a couple, till whatever eighty seven or eighty eight. But yeah, it's weird, especially uh, this book came out last year called uh, New York Hardcore nineteen eighty to nineteen ninety mm. by Tony Retman. It's really cool, but it's funny because they even talk about it in the book. But you know, the first wave of hardcore whatever was supposed to end in like eighty three, and then the second wave is eighty five. And then all those people like, oh, it's, you miss the good old days. Like, it's yeah. so completely different. It's two years away. Yeah. You're at this know. bold show and they're like, you missed it when, yeah. like, it was cool. Everyone, everyone deals with that. I dealt with it. Like, yeah. like, everyone, it's one of the things I've almost modeled the way I am now is to try and not be like all those guys that made me <laughs> feel like shit about my music, yeah. you know, because especially around here. You know, I, I was coming up and I was into a lot of like the straight edge stuff, victory stuff, like things like that, which all the old New York hardcore guys were super averse to at first. And they're like, oh, fuck you. You don't like Warzone. You don't like Agnostic Front. You don't like Chromags. This isn't hardcore. And I'm like, but I really like Snapcase. I don't know. <laughs> right, they're right, awesome. Right. <laughs> and yeah. and like I try so hard not to be that guy now. Yeah. Where you grew up in Wilkes-Barre area. Yeah. What was like for you when you were growing up, what were like the big bands in that area that was like was it like digger weren't they from that area they're, they're <laughs> that's a deep cut man they're they're or, uh, not deckard <laughs> uh, yeah yeah uh <laughs> i'm trying to think of other pa bands uh weston yeah weston sure. um they're from about an hour or so away okay. so the thing that's weird about Are they like the, a lancaster band Weston. Yeah, uh, yeah i think they're from uh from allentown okay. i could be wrong yeah that makes sense i might be wrong on that um yeah, so the weird thing about Wilkes-Barre and, and the surrounding area, Wilkes-Barre, you know, is is basically taking the place of all the small towns around it. So not everything happened in Wilkes-Barre, but it's the same thing. So as, you, you don't know. have to say Wilkes-Barre. Yeah. People have been telling me for a hundred years I'm a dick for saying Wilkes-Barre. Wilkes- and you, it, yeah. And the, you're are you talking about the pronunciation? It. Yeah. Yeah, the pronunciation. Well, that's that's a whole other conversation, but yeah. Let's oh, have okay. it. Okay. Right, so so here's the thing. Wilkes-Barre is, is the town... You know, if you're f- most of the people that I know from the area say Wilkes-Barre. Okay. But there's there's uh, I think three possible pronunciations. There's Wilkes-Barre, Wilkes-Barre. Yeah. Which is according to the information that I received, that's the proper pronunciation. It's okay. it's two French guys' last names, and then uh, uh, what's the third one? I say Wilkes-Barre, Wilkes-Barre, and Wilkes-Barre. Oh. I don't hear many people say Wilkes-Barre. That's like a a real towny pronunciation. Sure. You know, but, um, is it like a lot of the Pennsylvania towns, like it's old, like German, Dutch? Yeah, exactly. So maybe bar was like kind of the Euro yeah, way of probably. pronouncing yeah. it or something. Yeah. I don't hear many, you know, young people say it, it is mostly, you know, older, probably. I can't imagine a lot of kids from Wilkes-Barre are like too tied into their German descendantry at no, this point. No. Yeah. Not at all. <laughs> but yeah. So I think what I was originally saying is that, is, uh, the, the scene of, of Wilkes-Barre is... It's pretty small, even though it's been around since the early 90s. So there were always shows and there were always some bands and stuff. But when I was coming up, going to, starting to go to shows in whatever, 2003 or something, there weren't a lot of, you know, really Wooksbear proper bands. Mm-hmm. That, you know, like, we're from Wooksbear. We play every local show. This is the scenes band. Right. It wasn't really like that. 
and there were some bands that had been around for a long time, but when I was starting to go to shows, it was just a lot of smaller bands and a lot of uh, just kids my age or a little bit older playing in local bands and stuff. And then maybe two or three years after I started going to shows, um, there kind of seemed like a an identity of Wilkes-Barre bands and labels and stuff. So that was that was kind of in my you know time of going to shows that happened, I think. Right. I was thinking it's interesting in your perspective because me... Because Ned is, like, legitimately, like, a generation different. Like, me and you sure. are basically, I just turned 36 over the weekend. Basically the same age. Yeah. Happy like, birthday. How, thank you very much. You're I what, didn't know that. 25. Yeah, happy birthday, you're 25, Bob. yeah. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, like, that's, like, 10, 11 yeah. years. Um, and you guys, but it's crazy because Title Fight, I feel like, has been around. So You guys formed when you were, like, seven years old, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> six. Six, six. Okay. Um, but, yeah, it's interesting to me, like, because it's, I feel like, um, like for example, you guys did a record with Walter. Yeah. Um, you probably were into Hot Water Music, but you were probably into like the later records compared to what I was into yeah, just because that's, yeah, that's what you that's heard true. first. And yeah. it's not that those records are better or worse, but it is interesting how these bands that have been around for a while, like so much of it's informed just by yeah. your age. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's weird. I was just listening to uh, Damien from uh, We Can Curse on this thing. Oh, yeah. Dude, totally. All right, Damien from Fucked Up's podcast, uh, and he had Fred Armisen on. Oh yeah, and he really? talked about yeah, it was a good interview. But he talked about probably getting not into, as good interview he had on this podcast. But definitely yeah, not. No, no, nowhere near. As <laughs> but uh, they talked about getting into Husker Du, and he taught Fred talked about becoming friends with Bob Mold, and he basically said like, "Oh, you're what age are you?" And he said, "Oh, whatever, you know." And he's like, "Oh, this is what record you got into," and then you got into this record, and he basically called him out on uh, what records he liked, but just by how old he, how old he was. Totally. He's like, yeah, that's totally right. It's, it's true, weird. though. I think I think that is it is interesting how it informs you. I, I always get mad at people my age saying that they hate Metallica Black Album. I'm yeah. like, bullshit, <laughs> you hate Metallica Black Album. You were 10, just like me, when you yeah. heard those fucking songs on MTV. You didn't know what the fucking Justice for All was. You didn't yeah. know yeah, these yeah. records. Like, be real about it. Like, we all came up on the Black Album unless you were listening to Kill 'Em All when you were, like, seven. You know? And I think people need to be, like, realer about Like, proud of, like, whatever. I love the Black Album. Yeah. yeah. The record's badass. Yeah. And I don't it's, even care yeah, if it's so the right. worst one or the best yeah. one. It means the most to me because it was my that, introduction to Metallica. That's important. Yes. Yeah. You know? Did you... um when you started playing drums, were you like really into playing the intro to Sabatru? Dude, I can play Black Album <laughs> literally that was like, like that was a, eyes closed, one hand. I can play that, that record. Was, I know yeah. it so well. That was a very drum centric intro, and I feel like you didn't hear that a lot. Dude, when it goes, so sick. Yes. I love it. <laughs> uh, Ned, spoiler alert 10 years, you're going to hate everything. So yeah. you're, you're in it now. That's good. I feel I'm, like I got okay. so jaded when I hit my like mid thirties. It's so hard for me to find new bands I like. Yeah. I like Title Fight, but um, yeah, it's hard. It gets it, hard. I, I literally just had this conversation last night. Really? Yeah, with guys who were like thirty and thirty-one. Okay, you know, I and, find myself as into music, but like I don't have the capacity for as much as I used to. Where like. You know, I would go to the record store like once every couple weeks, like what's out, what's new, like every band's new thing, the newest seven inch, like they have a song, this and that. And now I find myself still liking records, but like digging deeper into like a half a dozen records over the course of like a year rather than like, you know, going from thing to thing to thing. And that's what's changed the most with me. I don't know 
what the reason that is or like what kind of age thing did that to me but that's like what i turned into yeah i don't have such a voracious appetite as yeah. i used to i feel like just being into music in general right now is hard just yeah. because of the total overload of information you know that's true mm. that's true we had very limited options i felt that's like. the thing like this and even even when i was coming up as like yeah. i had one cd you know and i would listen to it until i could get another cd or whatever right you know? and that's it so it it's not like i was doing anything different but i was probably listening to a different medium than people a couple years older than me you know whereas cassettes or records a couple sure. years before that but you know but still pre-streaming now, yeah, yeah now it's like I, I really, this year and, and the year before, I've really been trying to keep up with current music because I kind of feel like I owe it to myself to do that. Not just, like, not not for any other reason than I, I just, I'm a fan of music, you know? Right. And it's like, I just want to hear what's going on and, and there's so much stuff going on, it's really cool. And I, I'll go down, like, a rabbit hole for whatever, a couple hours on my computer and find all these new band camps of bands and their friends and, and whatever and find all this stuff. And then it's like, all right, I have 20 new records to listen to. It's like, I don't, I'm not going to be able to get through this. Like, yeah. It's and insane. how could you really pay attention yeah. to that? I, I wonder, and, and since you're from a place like, like Wilkes-Barre, I'm so glad I can say it like that. Yeah, man. <laughs> like, I didn't realize that's, I've yeah. been using like the, almost the bougie pronunciation yeah, of Wilkes-Barre the whole time. That does not surprise me. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> um, mm, yes. But uh, like, one thing we've even talked about in the past on here is how, one of the cool things that it, we always noticed in like the '90s was like that scene sprouted up, yeah. always, you know. And like to each one of these scenes, there was always a group of bands coming out. By the time you heard of them, they all had kind of the same vibe because they'd come up in the same thing, and they were very insulated. And they yeah. learned off each other. They played shows with each other. They recorded in the towns they were from. And Wilkes-Barre was one of those places. It always had like this small group of like promoters and record label people and band guys that were small. And, and, and sometimes I feel, I I don't think one way or another, if streaming is, is positive or negative for, for music, it's hard to tell, but do you think like it's eliminating some of that because you have so much exposure to different scenes, like anyone who, who records a demo you have exposure to when back in the day, only the demos you would hear would be just bands around you and you would all take from each other. Yeah, definitely. And this is this is something that I, I probably spend too much time thinking about <laughs> because as I get older, like I'm still into all the stuff that I was when I was younger, but you kind of have to justify it in a certain kind of way. I feel like you can't be like, oh, I like I like to listen to like garbage can music <laughs> because it's like badass. You know, it's like, it is badass, but like I can also justify why it's badass now. Right. So the thing is like looking through the history of music, you see all these things of of the idea of of like localization kind of falling apart. Yeah. And you know, it's a thing of like where you can I can be from Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania, literally middle of nowhere, nothing, no uh really important aspects about the town. And I could be like in a New York hardcore band. Right. Or you could be like from the Midwest and be in like in a DC sounding band or something. Yeah, you can that's have like, true. And so I think because of how how it just everything has spread and how I don't know. Just how how everything has become available over yeah. the years, like the idea of having accessibility. A, yeah, definitely. Ex- yeah. It, the idea of having like a local identity has kind of, to some degree, fallen apart. You yeah. know, and it's you know, I not for good or for bad. You know, it, it's just something that happens, and I I'm definitely interested in the idea of having a local identity and having that kind of mentality and scene and stuff. I think that's really cool, mm-hmm. but I think it might be outdated at this point. Yeah. I think it might be impossible to to curate. 
we talked about this with um with denver from desperados and that was so wild too because it's like what was that like being like your scene was just like tim casher and kind of robers yeah just local dudes yeah yeah and it's it's interesting to hear that because i've also been thinking about it a lot and it's it's almost sad but probably true in the idea that like maybe it's an outdated model yeah. at this point and, and and you might be right like so where does the new like localization come from is it like like uh, a chat room that maybe. like everybody that's hangs a, out yeah, in that's or the thing. Like, like i think the like the idea of local stuff is like social media yeah you know it's like local jokes that you have with your friends and like whatever i, I don't have snapchat but i was told that you can put a a like a geo whatever what do you call that geo cache thing or something like I'm in Brooklyn and like a Brooklyn thing comes up, oh. you know, like that's, that's 2015 localization. I guess so. Cause the other thing that I felt like, not sound like oh, back in my day, but like me and you, like, it's like you just buy whatever came out on victory or epitaph or fat and you'd be like, Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll probably like, like chances yeah. are I will like, yeah, yes. yeah. like, unless it's like baby go Paul or something, this will be something I'm really into. <laughs> that was a curveball. Yeah. That was that a curveball. Was a curve- <laughs> Every once in a while you'd get one of those where you're like, uh, but, uh, they had to keep Shelter from jumping one more record. Totally. That was it. <laughs> totally. But now it's like, even like Epitaph, like, you know, it's like they have pianos or Joyce Man or it's, whatever, but then they also have bands that I'm sure, like, I don't even, and never heard of that I right. would, yeah. you know, that are yeah, just totally doing something different. Well, it's interesting, yeah. Because I guess, like, Victory used to have to cater to its own fan base. Yeah. Right. You know, it'd be like, I need to sign bands like this because this is the people who know Victory who buy these records. And yeah. now each of these labels can now follow the major label model, which is what's the most popular. Yeah. Let's get one. Yeah. 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 Totally. My, my, uh, I have three other brothers, one of which plays in title fight. Uh, my, my middle brother, who's not into punk or hardcore, who I I always preface him as being the, like the real weird Russin. Cause we, <laughs> like we think we're weird. Cause oh, like we're into punk and hardcore, but he likes classical music and Gregorian chanting and he's like, he's like real he's crazy. He's the one who actually he's does like the his true own freak. Thing. That's yeah, it. Yeah. So right. he's he's studying for his PhD in musicology right now. Wow. wow. And he's like, you know, brightest guy I know. And I always try and pick his brain about music and stuff. And uh, his his like big one, one of the big conversations we had recently was that the idea of having a diverse musical palette is a completely modern idea. Mm. You know, the idea that you can be into his thing was like you can be into like Stevie Wonder and you can be into. Uh, like Led Zeppelin and you could be into Taylor Swift and they're all like normal things and that's a completely modern thing because we have access to all this stuff and because it's like accepted to be into all this stuff mm. now because of it and it's weird how yeah. that has changed it's like in the last whatever 10 years it's funky it's, it almost contradicts something I've been thinking recently which is I, I had actually I was listening to someone else's podcast about our relationship with, with like media and technology yeah. these days and how Something like Twitter, just for instance, like if you only follow your friends, follow your family and follow celebrities and politicians that you're like minded with. And I guess it works that way in any social media where like usually the people that follow you and the people you follow are in this sort of like minded group of individuals. And because of it, because you're never being challenged, because you're never hearing this outside thing that everyone thinks they're being so individual, but you're actually becoming conformists. Yeah. You're actually becoming exactly what this group of people is expecting you to be and needs you to be in order for them to keep following you and in order for this thing to exist. But then, so that's where I think like sometimes social media is turning everyone to a conformist, 
But then we bring up the point where, like, your brother is saying this idea that you can now listen to whatever you want. It's not pigeonholed into one thing. And, like, one person can be like, I like this and this and this, and that's fine. Yeah. So you're, like, a conformist in one way, but then it opens yeah, up. Yeah, that's an interesting point. All these other doors yeah. where you can think for yourself because you have all that accessibility. It's confusing. Yeah. <laughs> I saw something a couple of years ago. I was on the subway on like the L train, and there was some dude across from me who was like reading like the book I was reading at the time. He was dressed kind of like me, <laughs> and I l- remember looking at him, being like, "You're just it's like a fucking tool of marketing. Like <laughs> you're just doing what you're supposed to be doing." And so many people are having the same ex- exact experience of you, and there's nothing unique about you. Like you think everything's, and it like really freaked me out. Yeah. Like, I or, was, or go on tour, right? And yeah. look at anybody you stay with. Go to their apartment, right? And typically on tour, you're going to be staying with people who are punk and hardcore kids. Yeah. And go look at their book collection. It's going to be... And go remember? see yeah. if 50% Vonnegut of their books are the same shit Bukowski. you have, that yeah. mandatory totally. punk rock reading material yeah. that you needed on your bookshelf to yeah. be what yeah. you're supposed to be. And I, I've always been concerned with that aspect of punk and hardcore it's always bothered me yeah it's always bothered me that i go to hardcore shows and i've been going my whole life and i've been seeing 90 percent plus white middle class men you know middle class and up men in this scene that i love so much and the fact that like we are conformist just on a much smaller level and, and the it, fact that I actually decided to be original and not get fucking Liberty Spikes and not X up and not do all this shit when I was a kid, I didn't get as much credit as the guys who did, Yeah, even though I was doing more because I didn't dress like it and because yeah. I wanted to be an individual. And it's almost like if you're trying to become successful in anything, then your individuality starts to hurt you yeah. more often than not. It's, it's, it's tricky. definitely loaded. Yeah. You know, because har- the idea of punk and hardcore is to be counterculture. And to be, you know, to recognize the conformity in mainstream culture and be like, oh, I'm not like that. Mm-hmm. But then there's such conformity within it. Yeah, totally. And it's, it's also, I think what you're saying, too, is like that, that element of like preaching to the converter, where even if you're saying something like, don't be racist, don't be sexist. It's like you're saying that that's cool, but you're saying it to people who all are going to agree with you. And it's almost like low hanging fruit in a way. It's almost like yeah. it's easy. You know, you're going to get positive, like no one's going to be like debating you yeah. yeah that's the thing it's like who like at a, if you go to a whatever a hardcore show this weekend the chance of you seeing like somebody talking about like uh you same-sex marriage or like like police brutality or or just like acceptance of all people you know like there's a there's a high chance of of that happening and i think there's a an a extremely slim chance of anybody at that show saying anything other than like yeah right I agree. Right. You know, right. it's just like totally. It's yeah, like of course. It's it's a it's a noble effort, but it's right. such like a you know such an easy target. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. I feel like I, but uh, maybe that's just a symptom of just being just super jaded and like whenever anyone says anything, I'm like, Yeah, of course. You know what <laughs> I mean? Like obviously. Well yeah, I mean it, it's interesting when when they're not I mean, you get into something, like, say, for instance, I, I was into, like, animal rights before I was a hardcore kid. Right. Yeah. And that was actually one of my attractions to that thing. I was like, oh, wow, like, that's part of it. That's cool. Like, dudes are vegans. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. And, like, I feel like 
people, it's almost like teachers, like how teachers start with a good intention. So many go in with this idea to save the world and save children and mold people's minds. And then once you get caught up in the system, you're in the gears, you wind up being a little jaded and you're like, okay, this is a new group of kids who I have to pretend that they give a fuck for the seventh year in a row. And now, <laughs> now I'm like, ah, I'm not going to yeah. try as hard because what's the point? And I could see that in like a punk hardcore enclave too, where like, if you are around things that are challenging you, then like you are bound to think about your own situation, think about the details, think about how you want to fight for it a lot more. Maybe that's why they say punk rock died after the Reagan administration. Some people yeah. say that. And I was always, you know, waiting for this thing during the Bush administration. I was always waiting for something that I thought was going to be like a new revolution in music to happen that never happened. Yeah. And, uh, but is this just like a general apathy in like that scene or is this like a general apathy of just people I or like it, Americans I, I th- at this point? I think it's like neurological because like, you know, like what you were what, no, what you were saying about like, you know, sort of like the diversity of music is a newer thing. Like I read this book, like This Is Your Brain on Music and it's uh-huh. I'm sure your brother read it and sort of about like how your synapses work and how what you're listening to and yeah. those are sort of forming sort of are what you're into in life. Like I... You don't meet many people are like, I'm 30, I've just, like, got into salsa music. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I'm sure it happens, but... And I feel like it's politics, I like that, too. It's like you sort of become, not set in your ways, and I'm sure, I know people, but I feel like it's political, when you're talking to someone with the opposite political views as you, like, you're not going to change their mind. Mm-hmm. Like, those things are, like, be also, like, music kind of become ingrained in, like, your personality, and it's like, you sort of identify with that. I feel like that's why people get so kind of stubborn. Sure. Yeah. It's kind of scary. Yeah, it is kind of scary. Well, I mean, I guess it, it, it's that thing too, right? It's like people, if they're pushed, have a tendency to push back. No one likes to be told what to do. Right. And I feel like it's a problem I have with with liberals and atheists and animal rights people, which generally fall under the punk and hardcore thing these days is that they have such a rigid attitude that it's become just as divisive as the thing they hate. Yeah. You know, and like, how are you ever going to fight fights like this? You're not going to change people's minds. I didn't have to become 18 years old to realize that people think what they think and I'm not fucking smart enough or have some nugget of wisdom that's just going to like convert people. I'm not that arrogant to think that I do. Yeah. And I've definitely found through the years, I mean, that... Say, for instance, I was in Louisville on tour. Louisville, to talk about town names that I always fuck up. Is it it's like, Louisville? Like, Louisville? People from there are like almost like Louisville. Like, I don't even know what to do with like the UIS. Yeah. And it, I'm just confused. <laughs> just take it out. But I don't know if it's because like how I looked or just my general vibe, like getting into this cab, but I took a cab from like an airport to a venue I had to find to a show. And the cabbie just goes straight into some really racist shit. I'm not sure why he felt comfortable with me to do so, <laughs> not realizing he has, like, a, like, diehard liberal fucking Jew in his backseat, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> like, just because I have a mustache and I look like a biker doesn't mean I'm racist like you. And, you know, my first instinct sometimes is to be like, I fucking idiot, you know what I mean? This right. guy's an idiot. Like, and I want to just, like, lump him in with this, like, 
group of people I honestly don't know fucking anything about. You know what I mean? I'm yeah. from central New Jersey. I was raised in this environment that's just so unlike something he was raised in. I'm not going to pretend to understand his reality. Yeah. And instead of like combating it as I normally would, I actually like, I was like, oh yeah, like why do you think that, you know? Oh, for real? Like that's crazy, you know? And I'm like letting the guy talk and letting him work it out and like... After about 10 minutes, he's picking up. He's like, he's like, you a liberal, ain't you? <laughs> and something like that. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. And, and I'm playing devil's advocate with him. I'm like, oh, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Maybe that's the case, you know? And I have no idea. I don't think I fucking changed the guy's mind. But I do know, like, I walked out of that cab and, like, I didn't have, like, a disgusting experience with this guy. And I feel like even if, like, a small shade of him has like this idea that like oh those people like some of them are okay and like the idea that like i can see this guy and even though he has like an ass backwards racist attitude maybe he's not like a horrible person right and maybe he's misguided maybe he's ignorant maybe he's never been around the same way you take you know go to a a hardcore show with a hundred 16 year old white kids from the suburbs and try to you can ask them about the the urban black experience and they'll have all the right answers, but you put them in it, they don't know what the fuck to do. Yeah. They're just as isolated. They just have the right things to say, right? Yeah. And it's very scripted too. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's, it's, it's especially like in my experience is seeing that stuff. It's like hardcore is, is very righteous in the idea of like, oh, like we support the, the whatever, you know, the downtrodden and all this stuff. But then like so many of those people are just like, misogynistic and and super fucked up in that regard and it's it's weird yeah you know to be like i feel like as as i get older i'm becoming more self-aware of not only my situation but like the situation as a whole and i think your experience is like that's definitely true you know you you don't know what other people are feeling or their experiences or whatever and i think that's good to consider but it's hard it is hard it's much easier just to be dismissive and be like yeah Yeah. this person's i'm smarter than them like they right yeah yeah but it I mean, what do you? It's a complicated thing to get into. Sure. I mean, do you think, like, say, like, we're we're both in bands that a lot of people listen to, and like, like, is there anything that like the people actually delivering the music could like do? Especially for for you, because your fans, I mean, I guess both of your bands' fans have fans who are pretty young. I mean, older fans, but also like a large contingent. That's a thing, and like something that 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 it constantly happens, like because. So, you know, I grew up going to, to punk and hardcore shows where violence wasn't, uh, you know, ubiquitous, but it was also, it was something that occurred from time to time, you know, and it was just thing like, oh, there's a fight, whatever, we're not going to let it ruin our time, like, don't shut down the venue, Yeah, just take it outside, right. and it's the thing, like, as I've grown older, my stance on violence has just become like, that's completely unnecessary, regardless if you take it outside, like, that's just stupid, Right, and so... Um, you know, we used to play and a fight would happen or whatever, and we would just keep playing and act like it didn't happen. Just to, like to the idea was to not bring attention to it and right. to not like like warrant their behavior with some sort of response. And then we we just got back from a tour that was really cool. We do, uh, it was our first South American tour. We ended in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Cool. And like the end of the first block of songs, there were these um these monitors in front of the stage. And they allowed people to get up on them in stage or whatever, but it was kind of, you know, it was crowd, monitor, and then the stage. So mm-hmm. um, this kid like hopped up on the monitor and uh, and uh, there were these group of girls that were right in the front and center, right in front of where I was set up. And I don't know what happened. Something 
where a girl tried to get the guy down or what, but this guy looked a girl in the face and just kicked her like right in the face and then dove off. Wow. And I stopped and I was like, listen, you know, this is not a place for violence or revenge. And I just like, I, I said something really quick and then I thought like, does this really make a difference? You know, like I, I believe that I said something that mattered to me, but I don't think that this is going to stop anybody from like punching somebody else in the back of the room. Right. And it's like, I don't know. It's, it's like a very hard line to walk, especially because the thing is like, I don't want to tell people what to do. Right. You know, we had this conversation when we yeah, spoke I was just last thinking time. About yeah. that. Last time we talked, all that stuff was happening with like Joyce Manor. Yeah. The last thing yeah. I want to do is be like somebody who says what you can and can't do at a show. Right. I don't think you should inhibit on other people's like personal space and or safety. But I think like there is a, a there really is like a safe and responsible way to act at a show where you can like have fun and go off. For sure. You know? Right. And yeah, it's just, but it's a, it's a very hard balance because. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to. Yeah. To me, like that stage diving thing was so difficult because I was like, yeah, it sucks if you're getting landed on and and it's so much of it seemed to be like context like what kind of a show it is yeah but also like if you make things too safe it's kind of like you can i feel like you lose something yeah like there should be like i remember going to shows when i started out and like it was a little scary and that's kind of what was exciting about it that's the thing it's it's weird it's it's um i'm thinking right now of this um of this essay i read by david foster wallace and he, it's um it's in the book consider the lobster and he's reviewing, he's literally reviewing a grammar guide, which is awesome. Like, yeah. David Foster Wallace, my favorite writer. He had, is was really that the sick. book where it had the thing where he went on the cruise ship? No, like, that's another book. Okay. But uh, it's, it's the same way. It's just a collection of his nonfiction essays. So he's reviewing a, a grammar guide and then he gets in a thing about abortion and he talks, he like has this little aside in this review of a grammar guide, which is so insane to me. And he talks about like how if you are not pro-choice and pro-life at the same time like you are not human he's like if you can't sympathize with people who say like mm. you know a life is a life and you can't sympathize with people who said like it's your choice then you're weird like you have to see the 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 truth in both sides and that's like i that's what i'm thinking when i think of the situation like is like jumping on somebody's head wrong yeah but like have i jumped on people's heads and had fun and all parties are safe yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, it's like, it's, it's, I don't understand how to, to, you know, go on either side and say like 100% is, is the truth. And we had it's, talked when you came on, was like, you guys had used to have like a policy where you would only play shows. It was like only no barriers. Only no yeah. barriers. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like that's also something where I'm sure as you guys have gotten to be a bigger and bigger yeah. band, like that's, it's, that's not really a realistic. Yeah. And the thing is, like, the band that I always bring up and the band that is impossible to compare anybody to is Fugazi, you know, and a band that, that played their own shows at whatever venue they could mm-hmm. with no barrier. For $5. Yeah. yeah. And they enforced like a no stage having policy. Yeah. Which is insane. Yeah. I think it, it, like everything Fugazi did, I don't think it could ever happen again as much as I would like it to. But the thing of like, and they did it in a way where, you know, you I've only seen it in videos on YouTube, obviously, but when somebody would come up and they would say like we don't allow this at our shows here's your five dollars back please leave yeah like i don't know how like that's so genius it's genius but like i I feel like fugazi did have a unique independence that a lot of bands didn't have and yeah you know and they are i feel you you know because anytime this conversation comes up they are the benchmark right 
because they are the ones who actually like besides for someone like Morrissey or something. Yeah, they're the ones who actually like took a stance. This is the way we want our shows conducted. This is the way. And I do feel like when I was coming up, Fugazi was like the anti-hardcore band. Yeah. Like if you were like a moshy hardcore kid, fuck Fugazi. So like so many of the older guys that I know are like, yeah. I, lo- I love my threat. Never got to see them. Fugazi was around, and yeah, I'm like, fuck them. Yeah, you know? exactly. But and then, but on the same token, I feel like they lost people that maybe wouldn't have liked them anyway. And the affection they got for people who were like minded to them is like hardcore. Yeah. I mean, I know people who are like still like Fugazi is their band, and maybe it's because like. It's not only the music, it's because they never compromised a moral value that a lot of people yeah. would like to believe in. Yeah. You know? Like that that's like I don't know how you could be in a band and not feel guilty that you don't do everything the way the Fugazi did it. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like whenever we get stuff about tour and it's like, oh, we're playing like it's fifteen dollars again. Like how did Fugazi do it? <laughs> yeah. I'll never like I'll never understand. It's amazing. Yeah. So it's a mystery of modern science, you know? Yeah. You 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 told me I feel like you had to yell at someone at a show yeah, recently, I, which is, as a drummer, I'd imagine that you like don't can't do that very Very often. seldom. <laughs> yeah, very seldom. But it was it was like a show where it was like possible to do because there was no barrier. The guy was super close. There was just like it was possible. You know, some shows I'd be like yelling across and 20 people would be like what me yeah you know me did i do something and we do have a problem with that these days because we have a bizarre mixture of fans you know like oh and i've seen it i've seen it a lot now i've seen the the guy who used to come see us in like oh six who like wants to rip around and fucking do what all of us have done at shows which is completely normal to me because that's the way i came up and going to shows yeah but then I watched some, like, two ladies who clearly don't go to hardcore shows, like, front and center on their Saturday night. Like, and I'm not to say these women, they should be able to have a good time. You know, right. they should be able to drink their drinks and enjoy the music the way they feel suited to. And then a song starts and I watch some kid fucking crank her in the face by accident. Yeah. And she goes crazy because she just got kicked in the face and she doesn't know the environment she's in. I don't know why I keep saying this is a woman. It could be anyone. And like, but more often than not in our situation, I've seen women at our shows try to fight kids yeah. and like these things pan out. And I, I even to the point where I've had to uh, start a precedent where we talk to security prior to the show being like, do not kick kids out for doing yeah. this stuff because it looks to security as if the kids dancing around are like fucking with the people. Yeah. And more often than not, the people who are complaining should probably just get out of the way in in this instance. Yeah. So I've had to like inform security, not every person, because I've watched kids who have done nothing get kicked out while I'm playing drums, and that frustrates the crap out of me, yeah. you know? Because it's like, to me, the most unfucking punk rock thing <laughs> ever is kicking a kid out of a show for dancing. Right, that kills yeah, right. me. It kills me to even think that I could be a part of that, Yeah. you know? But it's it's a tricky, like, mix. Well, especially I'd imagine, like, as you become a more popular band and, like, you know, have, like, like you have, I'm sure, like, fratty dudes at your shows who never went to punk shows. And it's like you don't want to, like, turn anyone away. I'm sure you want to be inclusive. But it's also when you get such, like, someone who doesn't have the context, I'm sure it can be very confusing. 
Yeah. And it's like you're saying, like the quote you're saying, David Foster Wallace, it's like, I understand both sides. Yeah. I understand them completely. You know what I mean? And from my end, I want these people who want to have drinks and enjoy music to have a great show and be able to just yeah. do that. And I want the kids who want to flip out and that's the way they're expressing themselves that night to yeah. do that. But I don't know how to make them peacefully coexist in the same place. Yeah. I have no fucking it's, idea. It's hard. Did it's, you? Oh, go ahead. What, no, no, no. I, I, I got just, nothing. That so. made me think of that. Um, <laughs> someone recently sent me, I hadn't seen it in so long, that, that commencement speech. that he. David oh, this is Walls. water. Yeah, this is water. Yeah. That was so awesome. He's. Have you heard that? No, where was that? Uh, Kent State. Yeah. He did, yeah, he. It was like his only commencement speech. It was uh sometime in the mid two thousands, like three or four years before he killed himself. Uh, what was just, it? It was like he's like, "There's two fish and they're swimming by." Yeah, it's it's the fish. Uh, the story. It, it, he starts off the thing like because the thing he's just so intelligent. It's beyond me, you know, like his yes. vocabulary. But he so he starts like you know you start off every commencement speech with a, a I I think he's like a didactic little mm-hmm. parable or something. So like. <laughs> There's a story of uh, two fish, and they're swimming, and an older fish passes them, and uh, and he says, "How's the water, boys?" And they say, "What the hell is water?" That's the <laughs> yeah. joke, yeah. You know. <laughs> and then he goes like on this crazy twenty minute speech about the nature of knowledge, and yeah, it's that's great. awesome. Yeah, he's so good. Yeah, he is so good. I, I, um, yeah, it's interesting to me. It's like I wonder. I had this talk with my friend. I have a friend who's like. Loves David Foster Wallace too. Like has all these signed first editions. Oh, like, really? He's obsessed. He's like a yeah. collector. But yeah, he. We were talking about. It's like he was so hyper intelligent. You're like, I wonder if he just had life figured out so much. He was like, this is fucking totally pointless. Yeah. Like you know what that, I mean? I mean, like that's his his whole is is a posthumously uh, published novel, uh, Pale King. Yeah, I it's about read that. like I, I have it. I haven't read it yet. I'm working through his other stuff first. I did Infinite Jest first by him. Really, I which tried is about like, four times and failed. Right when I moved to the city, I didn't have a job. I literally, my, my job was reading Infinite Jest. I'd wake up and I'd read for eight hours. And I finished it. And I finished it in two weeks, which is like absurd. No way. Yeah. So did you do the footnotes? Yeah, I did everything. <laughs> but, wow. but yeah, so, but, but so, you know, The Pale King, like I'm working to get to The Pale King. But uh, it's a book about boredom and like how we cope with boredom and just normal, like how, how you go through your life knowing that basically you have a job to do. You have to uh, provide for yourself and if you have a family and yet you have to maintain a level of sanity and you do this just day in, day out. Like, how do you cope with that Hmm. as you just get older? And in the middle of writing that, he killed himself. Just in a a context of not knowing, was he was he a a, a man of God or not? He uh, he kind of was. Really? I didn't know. Yeah, he was like uh, his parents were. I don't know if I'd say they were atheists, but they were definitely agnostic. And like he, uh, he went to the Catholic Church like later in his life. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. How? Um. When did you uh, move to New York? Last August. And you were in Pennsylvania up until then. Yeah. The whole time. Yep. How do you? How are you finding it? I like it a lot more than I thought I'd like it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I say this a lot, but the thing is, being in a band and coming to New York is one of the worst experiences you could have. Sure. You know. The worst. Yeah. Like parking, uh, trying to find a place to sleep. Uh, show usually sucks too. Yeah, the yeah. show the shows are weird. New York is, yeah. uh, and I can say this now about like going to shows in New York. New York is so hit or miss. Where it's like 
there there's so many different options of how your show can go. It's like your show can just be amazing. You know, that's that's an option. And we've experienced that. Your show can be packed and it could be people just like standing there with their arms crossed. Like, um, oh, I'm, I'm supposed mm. to check out this band. <laughs> Look at, yeah, okay, I'm here, you know. Right. And then there's like sometimes it's industry stuff and it's like uh, there's there's literally an infinite amount of possibilities of why your show could be great or why it could suck. Yeah. You know, and then on top of that, like the tolls to get into New York suck. Yeah. The traffic sucks. It's like it's such a nightmare. And so every time I came to New York for the longest time, it's just like great. Going to New York, this sucks. And then the first time I came um without the band, without uh without a car even was I went to uh the Rev twenty five shows mm-hmm. at Irving Plaza and my girlfriend's aunt and uncle live up in uh like Westchester or something. Like South Salem, I think they live. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we like drove up there, stayed with them, and then took the train every day. And not having a car and just like walking around and taking the train, I was like, oh, wow, I get it. Yeah. New York's all right. You got to hustle it. You know? I was just thinking, um, you you also sometimes work at a venue yeah. doing stuff um, where Derek works. Webster Hall. Sing- yeah. yeah. Singer for your band. Uh-huh. Um, I didn't even put that together. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. Um, and But I feel like if you lived somewhere else, like, I mean, I'm sure it's like part of it's like, cool to, to do but i mean i'm sure it's like you probably wouldn't have to do something like that if you yeah. live somewhere where your rent was like 300 dollars. yeah i mean booksphere is like i can't even tell you how stupid cheap booksphere is <laughs> yeah you know i'm sure like not only is rent cheap but everything is cheap like food is cheap yeah uh whatever just just ev- everything is is so cheap so to go from that and to be like that's you know that's why i have a record collection that's why i have a, a t-shirt collection it's like oh I like live at home and <laughs> right. I'm like going on tour and we're doing all right and I have nothing to pay for. Yeah. yeah. So, oh yeah, I'll buy this like couple hundred dollar record. I'll buy this shirt. No problem. And now it's just like, I can't even look at eBay anymore. It's like, yeah. I, kn- I can't stop myself. So I just had to cut it out of my life. What was your kind of incentive for, for moving here and, you know, having been someone who probably is sort of on tour a lot? Yeah, I, I moved here for my girlfriend. She's going okay. to grad school. Gotcha. So she she applied to a couple of different places, got in. Um, the other option was to move to Savannah, Georgia, hmm. uh, and that that was like her her first choice. And she got into the school, and she got a scholarship, and she she did really well. And then we kind of sat down and had a conversation. I was like, well, we could go to Savannah, or we could go to the other school that you got into, and you also got a scholarship from, and you're also like, is a great school, and it's in New York what about New York? And, yeah. and we kind of thought about it and we're like, oh yeah, we can move to New York. And when she, she made this, cause I was basically just like, wherever you go, you know, like I'm, I'm just along for the ride. I'll go with you or whatever. Right. When she made the decision to, to go to New York, it was this weird weight that like lifted off my shoulders. Like, oh my God, like I'm not going to move to Savannah, Georgia. Like this is, this is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. And at that point it was like, I'll, I'll do anything. I don't yeah, care. Talk about a different experience. Yeah. It would have been. Yeah. Oh my God. We we visited the school down there, and it was cool. Like Savannah is a cool town, and it's it's, pretty. it's based. It's very pretty, and yeah. it's based around like the school down there because it's you know it's a young population of kids that come in every semester and every year to to go to school. But then it's so weird at the same time. Yeah, we played yeah. there. You and played there like last year, I think, with like or with pianos. We were on tour with pianos, and we were t- torn down to fest or something. We played a show. I feel like I've talked about it on the podcast, but it was one of those shows where like opening bands are like just very local opening bands and the bass player had a wireless bass and went oh. up the stairs 
outside the venue, was walking around. I, lo- like, I Zach, love the wireless system. Dude, it was, Zach's like texting me, he's like, did you see this? I was I like, love I just guys saw some who guy. own the wireless yeah, system oh, like that. Went it. around the block, like, still playing. Like. <laughs> the, uh, the, the best wireless system usage I've ever seen in my entire life was uh, my oldest brother, Alex's, got married uh, two, three years ago. And, like, half, they had this, like, really actually awesome wedding band. And uh, they all had wireless, and they'd walk out in the crowd, and they'd, like, solo next to you and all this, and, like, give you the mic and stuff. And, uh, like, they wait for everybody to get super drunk, so it was, like, you know, three-quarters of the way through the night, and there's a balcony in the in the reception area. And the guy, the singer goes, everybody look up in the balcony, it's Jimmy with the trombone solo. And everybody turns around and cranes their neck, and the dude is up there with the wireless mic on the trombone doing a solo. Yes. And it was, you know, I was stone sober, and yeah. I was so amazed i just like lost it it was so and everybody else that was drunk was just like thought it was magic it was it was like it it made me reconsider my stance on wireless you know like (laughs) have you considered it since no for like that instant yeah i was like oh my god wireless is like the only option what's like (laughs) like when you're thinking of like your wireless fantasy what's like the one thing you're like man if i had wireless i could do that the only thing I don't think of I could do that. The only thing I think of like, wow, if I had wireless right now, my cable wouldn't have been ripped out of my amp well, yeah. and I'd be standing there naked for 30 seconds. But I feel like there's seconds. so much other Instead, stuff Instead, you get a, a fat man who creates a signal problem. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> stuff like that. That's pretty funny, man. I, uh, I saw Warrant when I was in college at a frat party at Cornell. Wait. Warrant at a frat party at I, Cornell. I wrote an essay about it actually for my zine. Maybe the other, maybe Ross did. One of us wrote about it, and we had photos of it. We went. Th- this sort of relates to wireless, but this is also just an incredible story. <laughs> we heard. I was very into Warrant growing up. Like I was very was into him. all of those bands. Me too. Um, and uh, we heard Warrant was playing a frat party at Cornell. We went to Ithaca College. We we're like on the other side of the town, and so we drove over to this frat house. They had tons of frats at Cornell, and it's a huge house, and there's a tour bus parked out front. And we're like, oh, my God, Warren's playing. And we go up, and we're like, we want to see Warren. And they're like, well, it's kind of a private party, and we're like, we'll each give you 20 bucks. And they're like, okay, cool. <laughs> so we go in, we go in the backyard, and they have, like, a sound booth tent set up, and they have, like, a stage they've erected. <laughs> and uh, we're hanging out, everyone's drinking beer, whatever, and, you know, it gets dark, and... Warrant comes out, and they're all in matching Warrant baseball jerseys. Wow. And it's, you know, I don't know how many original guy, but Janie Lane is, you know, who has since sure. since passed away. Um, and he came out, and they played, like, a full set. It was awesome. I mean, it was, like... How many people are you talking, like? I would say... 100 to 150 people. I mean, and wow. I mean, how cool. you know. They must, I mean, they must have had a lot of money, but I remember him being like, you know, like, it was kind of weird because it was like, this song's called I Saw Red, I wrote about this girl, it was like a fucking bitch, you know, like, it was <laughs> like yeah, yeah. so like, you know, like taking it down, like to put like heaven and stuff. And then I remember they like, that band Lit was really big. Uh-huh. They're like, this is a song by our friends Lit. And they played like, they did a Lit song. They played that, but I do remember, this isn't wireless, I don't think it was wireless, but I remember Janie Lane at one point going over to the frat house <laughs> And some dude in the top window of the frat house just pouring beer into his mouth from, like, three stories up. And I was like, this is oh fucking God. awesome. This sounds like a scene from Hot Tub Time Machine 3. Yeah. Like, this really <laughs> happened. This really happened. I was like, I mean, I was probably, like, 21 or 20. So, yeah, it was probably, like, 13, 14 years wow. ago. But, yeah. But, yeah, I remember being, like, just watching this dude pour beer into his mouth. And just the fact that that's you good. have a story that's, like, I paid off a mm-hmm. frat boy. 
you know to like weird? go see Warren at an <laughs> Ivy League school too. If yeah, I'm not Ivy mistaken. League school. Yeah. You know what the interesting part about that is like <laughs> I think talk about this a lot too. Like I feel like I have so much anxiety now and like I'm always thinking about stuff or worried. And I felt like when I was like younger or like in college, I would just do stuff like that and it would be like let me just try this. If it Whatever, doesn't work, we'll it doesn't it work. Out. Who cares? Yeah. Whereas now I'd be like, how are we going to get in? Like, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Like, I would be so nervous. I was like, oh, what if like they get mad at me? Like, sure. And back then I was just like, fuck it. Like, I'll do it. And half, most of the time it works out. Yeah. I mean, if it's a consolation for you, not knowing how I would have got in would have kept me at home when I was 16. It would still keep me home. Yeah. It yeah. Would probably I, ne- keep I never was bold. It so would if keep that, me home now. But yeah. yeah something I, I try to be bold, but... You seem it's not like my nature. We don't know each other, but you come across as a really nice guy to me. Yeah. And that makes me think I, you would be you. uncomfortable with the frat guy hustle as yeah. I would. The, I, I like I'm trying to kind of open myself up to like new experiences and and really the only thing that's ever done for me recently is like when I like see somebody semi famous, I've been able to like try and talk to them like a normal person. Okay. That's cool. But other than that, I'm just, like, completely timid and afraid at all times. I do, too, but I try to just remember, like, this is just, like, a person like you. Like, literally, they're just, like, they're not, you know, like, you're. they're just doing the same thing as you. And that's, like, um, I just try to keep that in mind. Yeah. Because it can be so intimidating walking into situations. Most of the people that I've ever seen have been music-related because of being at a show or whatever. And so that, that, like, the biggest one for me is I met Ian McKay, and that was, like, I had to give myself, like, a 20-minute pep talk to go and talk to him, which was completely the best experience of my life and totally worth it. But I like the whole thing is like his whole idea is that he's like, you know, normal guy. Yeah. So like, why can't I talk to him like a normal guy? So I'm like, all right, I got to go do it. And I talked to him. It reminds me of like, maybe this was something actually David Foster Wallace wrote where like, he was talking about like viewing other people as like, not as like obstacles. I don't know if it was him, but I read this thing where it was like, instead of like people being in your way and you've got to like, get like like, oh, this person's making me late because they're too slow. Like, viewing them as, like, these people are that, doing the same thing I am. That's in This Is Water, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's in This Is Water. Yeah, okay, yeah. And that, like, for some reason really stuck with me yeah. as well. Like, that's a yeah. really... Cause that, yeah, the whole thing about that is, like, he, he has this funny little aside in the in the middle of the story about um, you just got off work and you are you realize you don't have any food and you're really tired and hungry. You have to go to the grocery store and you have the grocery cart with the the janky left wheel and you get stuck behind the woman in the, in the line or who's talking or whatever. And like, and basically just like talks all this shit on like the, the people who talk in grocery stores, like the people driving SUVs, like driving really slow. And he's like, but then you to think maybe that guy driving the SUV is like taking his son, uh, for, you know, like medical treatment and like the woman right. in line, like her husband just got laid off. Like, mm-hmm. it's, you know, just envisioning what, what other people have to go through or whatever. And it, yeah. I think that's a good, that's like a very drastic representation of it. But yeah, it's like everybody goes through the same shit. It's true though. I mean, and I've even, I've had that, you know, I've played devil's advocate for people too who have, who have told me, oh, I met this guy. He's a total dick. Yeah. I'm like, how long did you talk to him? They're like, oh no, I just like said hi outside of a show. Yeah. I'm like, not only did you not talk to this person, (laughs) that motherfucker could have had the worst day of his life. He could have literally 30 seconds before gotten a call that his 18 year old cat who he had since he was eight (laughs) just died and he's on tour and his wife is burying in the backyard Yeah, and you want to talk shit about like his new record. He doesn't care for this small moment in time. Yeah. He doesn't care and he should be allowed not to care. But yeah. then people hold like 
those people to a standard that are like, hey, I buy your records. I go to your fucking shows. I buy your T-shirts. You're going to give me five minutes. Right. You know, and you're going to give me a nice, friendly five minutes or else I'm going to talk shit. And it's like, I I always think about that when I meet people. I'm like, I, I don't, until like the third time I meet someone, I don't have an opinion anymore. I'm just like, all right, like... Let's give it some time. Let's see, you know, the real, real yeah. colors shine through. And any, everyone's full of shit anyway. That's, that's yeah. where I think, like, yes. you can't even know if a person's a good friend of yours or something until you're in a situation where they need to, like, show what kind of friend they are. Yeah. You can never know it until you're put into that situation, right? Yeah, So true. it's like, I think we do a lot of, uh, and this is, I, I say this from personal use, too, like, to... Uh, not be an overjudger <laughs> yeah. based on what you see, you know? I do it too. I have a thing about rich people. Huge chip on my shoulder about fucking rich people. I don't know what it is. And it's not like I was raised, like, in the fucking hood or something like that. Like, you know, I'm not raised rich either, but, like, I don't have a real reason to be so, you know, violent against these yeah. people. Yeah. And I am, and I'm super judgy, and I see, like... You know, I go to Short Hills Mall in New Jersey, which is like the rich people mall. And I see like the suburbs and the people shopping at like Cartier and like stuff like that. And I'm like, I do. I have this instant feeling of fuck that person that I have to reason out of myself. But my first instinct is like super judgy and mean. Well, it's interesting. Yeah, this is sort of what we were talking about last time. Like, I do think like you know people be like, well, Johnny John Lydon, like that guy's actually rich. Like all this stuff, it's like that like negates what you've done in life <laughs> right. because your parents are rich. And it's like, yeah, but like you were born into that, and like you still have to like live your life. Sure. Yeah. Like I don't know what that experience is like, but it's also like that doesn't mean that nothing you. Do, do has any value because yeah. you have like some cheat code or something yeah and I'm, take away about 90 percent of hardcore and punk you like yeah. if that's the legitimacy oh, you're yeah, looking for because yeah we are mostly middle upper class white kids yeah. who got and, into this shit for, sure. for whatever reason yeah. i tried I, my, my brother the musicologist um he was in like a rock and roll class and they had um he he showed me a, a essay that they had to read it and it was about this the sonic qualities of U.S. punk hardcore from 1979 to 1983, and I was like so excited to read it, and I and I gave him some feedback on it because it compared um, the middle class out of Vogue to Minor Threat bottled violence, huh. and it was like or Minor Threat filler, and um, it was like um, you know like the uh, they use some terms that I don't really I didn't completely comprehend, but it basically said like a, a recording is it used the term wide and narrow, and wide was basically like if if the sounds blend together mm. you know it's it's wide and if you can specifically hear each instrument it's narrow so it's like out of vogue wide filler narrow and i and i went to my brother I'm like uh this is what you have to go to class i i like gave him all this ammo i'm like are oh, you going to go to class to say this you're going to school everybody it's going to be awesome I'm like uh minor threat were like kind of well off dc people mm. they could afford to go even it wasn't like you know um uh, Don Ziantara from Inner Ear, like he wasn't this great studio or anything, but it was like it was a good studio. The guy had good gear, mm-hmm. knew what he was doing. He was right. an older guy, whereas like middle class are from like you know probably scraped together like the money that they had and went to some random guy who they could afford like a hundred bucks with, and they just did like two songs live or whatever. Like the, the whole thing is based on socioeconomics. Mm-hmm. And my brother went to class and he's like completely got burned. Like you can't 
you can't uh what I for, I forget what they told him like you can't warrant that this change is is due to like economics but like, but it is yeah why can't like, you? listen to me yeah. yeah I was I was hurt that they didn't accept my uh, theory but I think I'm you, not a musicologist so I, I feel know. like though if you like if you like went to school for eight years got a degree in uh you know anthropology and, yeah. and music as a minor or something and then wrote uh, a paper about the same exact thing that'd be like hmm interesting good yeah. point good point <laughs> but just because it's like oh my little brother who plays music thinks that yeah like they're like oh no yeah academia I mean, it, cannot accept this there there was some like legitimacy behind the you know not accepting it but i don't remember and i'm gonna say that there is none because yeah. i'm gonna say that i I'm with you though. Yeah. I'm with you too, man. That totally, I, I never really thought about it, but that totally makes sense. That yeah. socioeconomic thing, and like, and I've brought it up like seven times in this interview. It's yeah. something that's like really like been highlighted, and it bothers me more and more. Like the the longer I get into it, especially like the lack of diversity, and these days mixed with like a lack of anything real to say. You know, the fact that you know, even if it was rich white kids at some point. They were still screaming for change. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, you could yeah. use your shirt as a reference. Like, and at least these kids were like barking about something positive. Yeah. You know, sometimes, or at least, you know what? I don't even care if it's positive, barking about something. They yeah. believed in something and it was kind of part of like this movement. And now that that's even been sucked out of it a little bit, it's like, I'm like wondering what's there and if it's just a bunch of people rehashing stuff yeah. at this point. But yeah. that could just be the old man sensibility too. It's it's it. The thing about that though is, hardcore is so about itself and almost so self aware that you know that the template has been laid since day one. And you know, I mean, granted, it's changed a little bit over time. You know, the late eighties got more positive and forward thinking, and then the nineties got more metal and whatever. But you know, you look at everything; it's it's really hard to be original and not be completely criticized just for trying something different and, mm-hmm. and swaying away from the, the original idea of what hardcore is. But, you know, I think my, my favorite band of all time is Youth of Today. And I think, like, the lyrics that they wrote are so incredible. You know, like, to really think about the idea of of whatever, you know, um, taking people not at face value and and, like, working together to make the world a more conscious, caring society. Like, that's huge. Mm-hmm. That's like I really believe that they believe that themselves, sure. and it makes it made me believe it at a young age, and it's still relevant to my life. Totally. But then you think of like all the bands that came after them, who were just kind of following that template that of like, oh, we care, like we don't want to be racist, be vegetarian, like all this stuff. It's kind of like I like it, but there is like a, a lack of sincerity yeah. in it, you know. And that's a thing of like you, the the hardest thing for me is to find. A way to be completely and and vulnerably sincere, and also have some like originality and authenticity. Because mm. it's it's hardcore is is so regimented, yeah. You know, and it's and I kind of like it for that, but I also kind of dislike it for that at the same time. Yeah, it's really interesting. It, it made me automatically think of I don't know if you guys remember the band You and I. They were like one of the bigger yeah. Jersey. Jeff loves them. I think yeah. it's like a Jersey. Yeah. They, you know, I think for anyone who's really into like the early part of like emo and screamo, I guess they had a big pioneering influence in it. And they were a Jersey band. They came off a band called Instill. But long story short, when they would play, the singer and the guitar player Tom used to often 
like break down crying at the end of the set. I could never tell you if it was legit, if it wasn't. I yeah. knew those dudes and they were super honest and seemed genuine about what they're doing. So I never had a reason to question it. And the people who were into you and I, I mean, fuck, this like moved them. And you and I were like their band. They would follow them everywhere and they grew this thing. But there was that reactionary part of hardcore, especially at that time when it was pretty fucking macho. Yeah. You know, and there was a lot of fights and a lot of like, you know, machismo at shows and this type of thing. And they were like totally belittled for it. And and I think about it in retrospect and how fucking punk rock what they were doing was in the environment they were doing it in when like literally breaking down into tears was one of the most punk rock. And like you said, being vulnerable, allowing yourself to be like vulnerably sincere, to be real. Like this is our actual emotion. And the idea that like a bunch of people more often than not didn't feed off it. They just were quick to like make fun of it. So it's always something I wonder what it is. What do you think it is that makes scenes like that so like that push out something like that so much i don't i don't entirely know i think the thing there's definitely a fear of change you know it's kind of like we have this thing that works why why would we want to change it but i think it's also a thing of so much of the scene is wrapped up in idea of of what it means to be in the scene rather than the artistic expression of it you Mm -hmm. know like like I said before, like I, I really do like hardcore, you know, unironically, unashamedly. And but the thing is like there there is a point of me that realizes it's it's restrictions, you know, as like a twenty five year old. And and like to be completely open and honest, like I, I start I just started a band in the city that's like a New York hardcore band. Like mm-hmm. I play in all these bands at home and stuff. And it's like I do all this stuff, but I recognize like there there needs to be something pushing it forward at the same time. And like mm-hmm. I, I try and play both sides of the fence. Like with with title fight, I'm the the member of the band that's like, yeah, we're a, we're a hardcore band. Oh, we have this like, uh, chorus, uh, pedal and clean part and like clean vocals. Yeah, so what? We're a hardcore band. Yeah, deal with it. You know, and it's that's the thing to me. It's like the I the thing about being hardcore is is that total fuck you. Sure. You know, and and the bands that in the last couple of years, like a band like um like Blacklisted, who their last LP. Uh, no one deserves a beer more than me was one of like the most punk things I've heard in my life. You know, it had like acoustic guitar parts. It had um, like really th- this really like autobiographic, crazy, deep lyrics. And it was coming from a band that was named after a breakdown song. Right. You know, like that's the most badass thing I've And you I've guys heard. have kind of done the same totally. thing. I, I, feel yeah. like, I had yeah. someone recently say to me, they're like, dude, like all the popular hardcore bands now don't sound like hardcore, like don't sound like traditional hardcore bands. Yeah. Like you guys, like Ceremony, yeah. like Turnstile, whatever. It's like none of these bands sound like what you think hardcore yeah. sounds like. But I which, think that's and, awesome. Yeah, you know? me too. I think that's really cool. Cause, I think your guys, I mean, on a personal level, I, I think your newest record is like, for me, the most I like that record probably the most. Thank you. Out of your records, yeah, and um, and it's not because I think the old records are badass and I think they're really cool, but I I noticed that about you on this record and and that it does take a certain what like confidence in yourself and like I feel like maybe if you didn't come from punk rock, maybe you guys wouldn't have been willing to make a record that was so honest to yourselves and yeah. like and stood out and you may have wanted to to um 
I guess, like, keep going with this, the thing that you knew was safe. Yeah. Do you think, like, having that, like, hardcore punk ethos was one of the driving things into doing a record, like, Hyperview or something? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think definitely. It's, um, you know, and and to me, a big thing about, like, growing up and getting into music was my, my oldest brother, Alex, who, who turned me on to all the bands I liked, he would give me, you know, he would give me records to listen to. And he'd be like, I think you'd like this. So he would give me, like... Within, with in the same, you know, handoff, he would give me Youth of Today, Gorilla Biscuits, side by side, and he would give me like Seaweed, Texas, The Reason, um, you know, Sam, I am like bands like that, and it wasn't explained like, oh, this is this is hardcore and this is this mm. other thing. It was like these are bands, right, right, right? Check them out. I think you'll like them. And so I would listen to these these records, and I would get really into them, and I would like side by side, and I would like Seaweed. Sure. You know, and like, it wasn't a thing of like, oh, this is like this kind of band, and this is this is this other, it, to me, it was just all the same thing. Oh, this is underground music, and I like it. Yeah. That's cool. I it was so, presented to you like yeah, that. Yeah. I feel like, yeah, the weirdest genre, I feel like, is like post-hardcore, because it's basically just like hardcore that doesn't sound like hardcore, but it's like, yeah. it doesn't really mean it's it. Confusing. It's confusing. Like, yeah, it's like, yeah. this is post-hardcore? I just knew I loved it. Yeah, that was yeah. like that was the whole thing when that stuff was coming out. I was like, it was this huge breath of fresh air to me, and I knew I wasn't supposed to like it that much. Yeah. You know what I mean? I knew like for like the world I came up in, like Jersey hardcore scene in like the mid '90s, and which, from my understanding, wasn't nearly as bad as the mid '80s. But like you know, even like some, I had a show where I booked Shift on the show and i was like this band is like blowing my fucking mind you know what i mean even beyond the fact that like they're from new york city there's a black guy playing bass a woman playing drums they're a three-piece they're like post-hardcore i'm like this is everything i want right now i'm so sick of all this other shit and like and i feel like these movements always happen in music and they're and i feel like you guys are part of one right now where like maybe kids and bands alike are a little sick of everything that's happening and wanted to move almost the same way the time around when Caven made their switch and started being a little more melodic and there was a lot of bands that sort of followed suit. Like, do you think you guys maybe were part of some like arc in like in, in current hardcore, like contemporary hardcore? I mean, it's, that's, that's something that's maybe too hard for me to say just because of my, my point of view is, it's not an outside perspective, you know? Right, sure. Um, I don't know. I like to think that hardcore is in a really great place right now because there's a lot of bands doing a lot of different stuff. And there's a, lo- there's a lot of bands doing traditional stuff that I love, that I think are great. There's a lot of bands experimenting with the form and pushing it that are really cool. What are your favorite bands that are, like, doing standard good hardcore stuff? Um, uh, there's a band from California right now called Fury that are incredible um they do kind of more melodic kind of like dc's to me it sounds like if uh if turning point wrote a record between the seven inch and the lp which is sick sounds pretty good (laughs) yeah i like it a lot they're really cool there's a band from boston called no tolerance that they're just like very straight edge very aggressive kind of like clevo meets uh you know like late new york hardcore it's it's really cool um, there, there's a bunch of bands going on. There's a label that my friends do from DC called Monsters Delight, and they put out a bunch of demos and they do zines and stuff. And basically, everything that comes out of that label is something that I really like and support. And 
there my my friends are on that label my friends run that label and it's just it's a that to me is like something that i feel very cool to be a part of because it's uh it's exciting and it's it's um i think people doing something the right way yeah you know it's like everything is hand done everything is is just like done for the purpose of we enjoy this so we're going to make this available you know like oh this band recorded this demo we're going to dub 200 cassettes and we're going to send them all ourselves and you know we're going to have all our friends do the artwork and stuff it's cool great didn't you just didn't i read that you just started a label as well yeah i started a label this year yeah (laughs) called it called it's i've done a label before too and that that kind of fell apart but Okay. This is a label that I just started. Uh, put out a record for a band from Wilkes-Barre called Life O'Reilly. Uh, that came out, and we have two records at the plant right now that should be out by the end of the year. What's it called? Expressions with an, with an X. Nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like a, it. It's funny. When I was a kid, my mom used to take me to a uh, hair salon called Sheer Expressions. Whoa. Written the same way. That's sick. Nice. That's what made me think of it. Sheer. I like the I was just sheer. in... William. Linda was a nice lady. She had a cool white <laughs> afro. She was really nice. I was just in Williamsburg, I think, and or Greenpoint, and there was a hair salon called Roots Radical, Ooh. which I thought was a pretty good rant. Decent reference. one. Yeah, Decent one. Pretty good. You you get your hair trimmed up there a lot? I do it myself now. <laughs> I used to I used to go to a place, but now. You could get a fancy barber, like, beard stuff going on. I don't think I could pull it off, man. Not like you. What? No. I just shaved this morning for this. Looks good. Yeah, I trimmed up the burns and stash for yourself? everyone. Huh? Do it yourself? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I don't source out. Wow. Believe it or not, guys. Benny still shaves his own face. Yeah. My own hands do still touch my <laughs> own face. The, the... Regrettably. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of the beginning of coming to America now. Yeah. The royal penis is cleaned, your highness. <laughs> I think we should end it with that. That's like yeah, the, yeah. I was gonna just ask some questions about sponge baths. That was that was my next step. Wait, let me see. What do you got? You got anything else? Benny always prepares stuff, and I never prepare. Well, here's anything. what's on the notes. Let me <laughs> see if you want to if you want to talk about any of this. Okay, there's a few. We already talked about Wilkesbury, Wilkes Bar, Bear, Bear, Wilkes Bar. I was gonna talk Wilkes-Barre. about brothers being a rhythm section, and if you have some sort of deep rhythmic connection because of it. I was going to talk about the fact that you play chords and bass riffs, and if you want to get into that at all. Or I read an interesting story this morning that they're using ketamine, a.k.a. Special K, as an antidepressant. And there's antidepressant clinics coming out giving people Special K. So if you had to <laughs> choose out of those three topics... Two, two of them are pr- uh, pretty similar, and one of them is it's really... Uh, yeah. Not my expertise. But. Yeah, well, throw a wild card out there. I didn't know, you know, you seem like an interesting guy. I thought you might want to hit you might want to hit a hit a slider for the last the last one. I don't know. I like I like where your brain's going, Benny. Where's it going? Just know where mine would have gone. <laughs> I don't know. That's what I like about it. This is I opened the letter today and this yeah. is this is what came out. And it out was uh, handwritten. Oh, it goes first slow. gaslight pun of the day. Man, I was waiting for it. I was waiting for it. Your Andy Rooney jokes usually come faster. <laughs> Didn't I see you in the Borscht Belt in 1968? <laughs> I think I did. <laughs> Sorry. That was uh, an old Jewish lady accent. I'm allowed to do it because my grandmoms were like old Jewish ladies. <laughs> so I'm That's allowed. True. Yeah. It's true. 
Yeah. I'm assuming your grandmothers were old Jewish ladies too. They still are. Yeah. Oh, yeah. awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Both in their 90s. Wow. Yeah. What, when my grandfather is like 93, the only thing he would eat at that point was matzo ball soup. Really? That sounds yeah. awesome. Actually. Yeah. It was just the perfect thing for him. He just couldn't take anything <laughs> Dude, else. So He's like, I don't know how much more I got. He's like, I just want matzo ball soup every meal because I like it so much. Yeah. And I was like, respect. That's respect. Nice. I like that idea. You had matzo ball soup? I've never had it. Oh, I'm a picky eater. You're in New York now, though. Basically, it's it's really easy. It's basically just like chicken soup with a big like doughy matzo ball in it. Yeah. I mean, it's you can't really like. It's not. It's not like anything crazy. It's not like grape leaf or yeah. something. I'd be willing to give it a shot. I'd like. I'd like to take you to like Juniors in Brooklyn and get you like a matzo ball soup. Maybe like. Um, what are those drinks? An egg cream. Yeah. An egg cream. Egg cream. That and sounds then, weird. Uh, what should we eat? Like Blintzes or something? Blintzes and then maybe a cheesecake <laughs> yeah, to finish. Can I come? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's go to Juniors. We should pick a day and do it. Okay. Yeah. It'll be like you're welcome to New York, even though I'm from New Jersey and he's from Ohio. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the most New York thing. It not is. being from New York. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. It's authentic. At least my at least my parents are from here. You don't even have that. No, not at all. I'm not I'm not even gonna pretend. My parents escaped New York to have a yard in New Jersey, that common tale. Yeah. Yeah. Good story, huh? It's Steven's story. We were supposed to be interviewing Ned. I yeah. feel like we're always getting, getting off track with here. Yeah, this is all right. This goes back to my timidness. So you guys <laughs> wanna do some special K and see if it makes us less depressed? It's worth a shot, right? I mean, it, I yeah. If you want to, if you want right. to tackle this one, All right. kill this interview. All right, let's go do special <laughs> K right now. Thank you so much to Ned Russell from Title Fight for Thank coming you, by. Thank uh, you. Title Fight does not have any shows right now. They just played a Thanksgiving show and it was sold out. So you probably didn't go. Sorry. Some uh, people went. Some people went. It was if you sold did out. go, tell us about it. Yeah. Send us an email or a, a, a missive to facebook.com slash going off track. Right. Or tweet at Jonah. Or tweet at me or tweet at Steven or tweet at going off track or tweet at Soundway. Tweet at Brad. He's Soundway. Are you still That's Soundway? what I just said. Yeah. yeah, I am. I don't know if you switched it up. I don't think I've posted anything in Tweet at Brad and tell him to tweet more. Yeah. <laughs> That's what you should do. Um, also, thanks to everyone who's donated a dollar. Has helped with our server costs. Yes, it's been really great. Um, and thanks, everything, Ned. Thanks to thanks to Stephen and Brad for just being cool. Thank, Thank you, you Jonah, Jonah, for doing. Come on, guys, talking to everybody, making being. Thanks to Jonah for being so cool that everybody likes you and wants to come talk to us. Oh, and also <laughs> thanks to Benny for guest hosting this episode. I Benny, mentioned that earlier. He's the best. but Benny's awesome. I feel like that just goes without saying at this point that Benny's people kind of guest hosting and he's awesome. So yeah. Um, that's pretty much it. Uh, thanks for listening and we'll be back next week. Bye.